Well, I want to begin tonight with a little bit of trivia. How well do you know your rivers of the world? How many of you know what the longest river of the world is? The longest river. If you guess the Nile River, you're right. The Nile River is the longest river in the world at 4,132 miles, followed by the Amazon. And third, in third place is the Yangtze River. What is the cleanest river of the world? I had to think about that when we got into verse 1 here. It talks about this river in heaven that is uh, clear as crystal. What is the cleanest river of the world? And I was amazed to find out the Tara River in Montenegro, Bosnia, is the cleanest and clearest river in all the world. The Karif River in southwestern Ireland comes in second. And believe it or not, the Thames River in London, England, which went through a major cleanup job, is, is ranked number three. What are the five major rivers in the United States? Well, you, if you guess the Mississippi, you're right, but there's the Mississippi, the Ohio, the Rio Grande, the Colorado, and the Hudson River. And of course, the Mississippi is the longest river in our country at 2,540 miles. Believe it or not, there are 250,000 miles in the United States of America. The deepest river in our country is the Hudson, measuring as much as 200 feet in depth. And the deadliest is right here in California, the Kern River, which is known for, its, uh, for a lot of whitewater rapids uh, that people do. The cleanest river here in California, some of you probably have been there, is the Smith River up in the northwest area of our, of our state, which incorporates the Klamath-Siskiyou area there. When we read about rivers, we, we think about a lot of things. We think about fishing. We think about whitewater rafting and canoeing and kayaking, all that. But when I think about a river, biblically speaking, I think about a river being a very integral part of heaven. And God wanted us to have a good description of heaven that there's a river that runs through the city. Last week we, we preached from, we looked at Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, we saw the place, the people, and the particulars of, of, of and the priority of heaven. We saw that there, and we saw in Psalms 87, verse 3, where the Bible says, Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of our God. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5 is a continuation of where we left off. John is not finished telling us about heaven. There's so much to say about that. Uh, have you ever been, to, uh, been on a tour where a tour guide got really animated and really excited about describing to you the place where you were at and describing things about it. And, and it kind of to the place where this person just kind of gets you very captivated and so intrigued that you don't want to leave, you want to stay, and you want to hear more. And I think that's what John is doing here in, John, in, in Revelation 21 and 22. John is just so enraptured with, in Revelation 21 about heaven, he continues on in chapter 22, giving us more instruction, telling us more things, helping us to understand how beautiful heaven is and what heaven's all about. And as a good tour guide, he does it for us. Now tonight, I'm going to make it very simple because I want us to have a good time. I want us to have a fun time. I want us to have a blessed time. I want us to be encouraged. I want us to feel like there's something God wants us to do. And there's four things I want you to see about Revelation 22 verses 1 to 5 tonight. Now if you watch, as you watch my live stream, you might want to pull down the notes section. You can take some notes tonight and write some things out. Number one, I want you to notice the road that is in heaven. There is a road in heaven. Verse 2 tells us about this road, about this street. It says, in the midst of the street of it. Now we know that heaven has a street because in chapter 21, we saw that the Bible says here that in chapter 21, verse, verse uh, 21, it says here that the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Now, many, every city has streets. 
And the street is the path upon which travel occurs. You drive on streets. and We have major streets here. I think about here in San Leandro, we have, we have MacArthur Boulevard, we have East 14th, we have San Leandro Boulevard, we have major streets here. We've got major streets throughout many areas there. MacArthur Boulevard stretches quite far through Oakland and San Leandro. We have Hesperian Boulevard, which travels quite far. We have Llewellyn Boulevard that travels quite far. And if you stay on that path, it's very easy to find. I think about finding our, our church on Merced Street. We give them the the landmark like Kaiser Hospital or La Pinata Restaurant, and some people have a vague idea of that, but they know Kaiser because of the massive buildings there, and when they get on Merced Street, we just tell them, keep on going till you come to the fork in the road and stay on the left side, and as you see on the left side, you can't help but turn into our parking lot. Now, I didn't, who would have imagined that God would have put us here in a location that would make it easy for people to find? But as you look at that tonight, every street, every city has a street. Street Cities have streets, they have crossways, they have boulevards, they have turnabouts, they have all these things, and... Uh, in heaven, if you'll notice this in our study tonight, look at verse 2 again. In the midst of the street, there is just one street. There is just one street. There is one roadway. And that one street is just one place in heaven. Now let me give you some things the Bible tells about it. There's only two verses that talk about it, but there's some good things about it. Notice it's a pretty street. It's paved with gold. I said this last week. On earth, people worship gold and walk on God. In heaven, we walk on gold and worship God. Amen? And so we look at heaven. It's a pretty street. It's paved with pure gold. It's not only a pretty street. It's a precious street. Gold is not pure unless it's been refined, unless it's gone through the fire, unless it's been purified and all the scum has been taken off the top. Now notice this. When we walk on heaven's street, it's going to be very precious to us because it's going to remind us of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on our behalf. Every time we walk a step on those streets of pure gold, we're going to remind ourselves that Jesus went through the crucible for your sins and mine. He went through extreme suffering that you and I don't have to go through so that we can have salvation. It's a precious street. It's a pretty street. By the way, it's a private street. All the people who get to walk on it are citizens of heaven. Aren't you glad about that tonight? You're a citizen of heaven. You get to be on the private road of heaven. It's a precious street. It's a practical street. Listen, I, one thing about streets is, is, is that you can get lost. Without GPS and without a map, you're going to get lost. But in heaven, nobody's going to get lost. Nobody's going to get turned around. Nobody's going to find the wrong pathway. It's one practical street that everybody's on. I read the story about a preacher who brought a, a bunch of men from a foreign nation over to uh, a bunch of pastors, a bunch of pastors from Africa and to America for the very first time. And it was one of our major cities of the world. And uh, so they had a big conference. He brought all these African pastors in. And he was a little bit concerned, just having a pastor's heart for them, a little bit concerned that they get lost. And so he, uh, he said, listen, we're going to let you have the afternoon free. And we're going to give you some maps here. And you can walk around and go shopping, do all these type of things here. We want you back at a certain time. But he said, I'm a little bit concerned because some of you are English is not that good, and uh, you may not have a good sense of direction. So here's my cell phone. This is my cell phone number. Repeat my cell phone number, if you would, please. I want you to make sure you tell me where you're, if you get lost, you call this number, and I'll help you find your way. Sure enough, 30 minutes, he, his phone went off and started going off, and there was an African pastor who said, Pastor, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. He said, okay, I want you to look at the corner of the street. He said, look at the signs. What do you see there? And you know, you, when you and I think of that, we think of the street name. You know, you think of the crossway, so forth. So, I, so if you would imagine me, imagine this African pastor is on Merced and Marina. Now, we know where that's at, and that you have a visualization. You know where that's at. And the pastor looked up. He says, okay, the sign that I see says walk and don't walk. 
Walk and don't walk. You know what? In heaven, you don't have to worry about walk and don't walk. You're not going to get lost in heaven. Amen? Heaven's not going to be there. You won't have a place to worry about because everything's going to be centered around the throne of God. It's a, it's a practical street. It's a pristine street. Hey, I'm thankful to walk on streets that are clean. There's no litter. There's no pollution. There's no junk around there. There's no gum that I'm going to step on that somebody threw out of their mouth. Hey, thank God the streets of heaven will be pristine. They're clean because it's a holy place and a holy city. It's a pristine street. It's a peaceful street. Listen, the streets of America are filled with violence, but I'm thankful the streets, the street of heaven is peaceful. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. There's no riots. There's no concerns for safety. Numbers chapter 21, verse 22, we read about a king's highway that was traveled by people. Moses and the Israelites told the Edomites, and Sihon and Og, he told those Amorites, he said, we'll, we'll go by the king's highway. We'll stay out of your way. We won't even ask for water. And remind you tonight that in heaven, that's the king's highway. That's the highway that God made for us. It's the street that God made for you and me. I want to tell you tonight, to get to that street, you must come through Jesus Christ. To get on that street of heaven, whatever the name is, Heaven's Boulevard or Glory, Glory Boulevard, you must come through Jesus. Jesus Christ, if you would, the Bible says, he is the way. He's the street. He's the road. He's the way. You must come through him. Without coming through Jesus Christ, you'll never make it there. Listen, once you're on the street, it's a recognition, it's acknowledgement. You've come the right way. Everything about him. Heaven has its connection to the street, the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, the walls and the foundations, the gates, the pathway for the people. In heaven, we're going to see a road. Number two, would you notice this? In heaven, we're not only going to see a road. Notice in verses one and two, in heaven, we're going to see a river. The Bible says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street, and notice this, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There are major cities famous for their rivers. Cairo, Egypt has the Nile. Baghdad, Iraq has the Tigris. Budapest has the Danube. London has the Thames. Paris has the Seine. New York, the Hudson. Washington, D.C., the Potomac. Heaven has a river. The marker throughout all of heaven's streets is this river. It's clear, it's crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. We get a glimpse of this river in the Old Testament. In Psalms chapter 46, verse 1, the psalmist wrote so eloquently when he said this, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. For whatever reason, God wanted us to get a glimpse of this river in heaven in Psalm 46.1. Now when we read about this river, number one, it's a lovely river. It lines the streets of the street of heaven, and it's on either side of it is a tree of life. It is a likable river. The Bible says it makes glad the city of God. You've probably been to places like I have where there's just these wonderful rivers, and it's just way out somewhere, and it just it makes the place pretty, and it makes things happy, and some, some of these cities I mentioned 
mentioned to you, they, their, their landmarks are their rivers. It's a likable river. It's the longest river. It travels throughout all of heaven. We said last week, we saw in the Bible, that heaven is a cube, and it's 1,500 miles in all ways, height, width, and breadth. And when you consider the dynamic, the dimensions of heaven, this river is long. It's the longest river ever. It will run all through heaven. It's a living river. Notice in verse 2, on either side of this river is a tree of life. Now, that tells us something I'm going to give you a little bit of insight on. There's more than one tree of life. On either side, there's a tree of life. And it gives forth its fruit, 12 kinds of fruit, during, a, if you would, and uh, rep representing one fruit for every month. And the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nation. We'll say more about that in a little bit. But notice of all this, it's not only lovely, it's not only, only likable, it's not only long, it's not only living, it's the Lord's river. God made this river. God made it a perfect river. God made it the best river we could ever imagine. It's God's river. Now I want you to take a moment with me, consider some rivers in the Bible. In Genesis 2.10, we have the very first river, right there in the midst of paradise. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. That river really is not mentioned much after that. We go from there, we read in Psalms 46.1, as we just did, about the river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. And then we get over in Ezekiel chapter 47, which is a great prophetic chapter. In Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 5, we read about a river that will flow out of, the, out of Jerusalem during the millennial period. And the Bible says that this river, those, these waters, run out from under the threshold of the house of God, and it's a river that could not be passed over. When we start reading in verses 1 to 5, there's a wonderful description about this river. Notice it sa tells us that this river... There in heaven, it says that uh, first, was you, as you look at it, as it started flowing out, it began, it was ankle deep. And then it started rising, it was knee deep. And it continued rising, it was hip deep. And then it started rising a little bit more, and it got to the place where the Bible describes it, where to, to be able to make your way there, you had to swim in those waters. It proceeded from the temple of God, and it flowed all the way down to the Dead Sea. We read about another river in Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. We read about a river, the Bible says this, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Describes the man who takes his delight in God's word and loves God's word. The Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate both day and night. And the Bible says he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. These rivers of water are life-giving. These rivers of water are nourishing. These rivers of water have nutrients and the ability to make things grow. Now when we look at all that, we consider several things. The essence is the water itself. Now as we look at water, first of all, in Joshua, John chapter 4, verse 14, water speaks about Jesus Christ and the salvation that is freely offered to him. I never get tired of teaching and preaching and telling people about John chapter 4, about the woman at the well. Water speaks us so wonderfully about Jesus Christ. Hey, are you thirsty tonight? Come to Jesus. He'll satisfy your thirst. Amen. He satisfies our thirst. Jesus is the water of life. He gives salvation to all who come to him. But we read later on, it not only speaks of Christ and salvation, but in John chapter 7, verse 
verses 38 to 39, water speaks about the Holy Spirit of God. It's a symbol of the Spirit and His work through us. The Bible says, out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's talking about the person in whom the Spirit of God is working through, that out of His life shall flow rivers of living water. That's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That's talking about the product of a Spirit-filled life. That's talking about a life that's abundant in Jesus Christ. But we see another river. We see here in Psalms chapter 1, Verse 3, this water speaks of the success that God gives to us. I didn't finish the verse, but this is what it says in Psalms 1-3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And it says this, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's an amazing thought. That's an amazing promise. That's an amazing idea for us here as Christians to realize that when you are so uh, saturated in God's word and so sit situated in God's word and it's filling you up. The Bible says you're like this tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Uh, there's a tree I like going to on the island of Kauai. There's one little town outside there, probably about 30 minutes outside of Luhui. And it's a big banyan tree. And there's a river that runs through there. It's not the Wailua River, but it's a river that ru runs through there. And this banyan tree is a humongous tree. Its trunk probably is all, probably about three-fourths the size of this platform here. And uh, it's, a it's got a huge trunk. It goes, extends very long. And it's right there in the middle of town. And they built some shops and things around that. And I started studying that tree a little bit on, on one time we were there. And I started realizing that, you know, the roots of this tree go so deep, they're getting its nutrients all the way from this river that's running right through there. Boats come through there and people go, go, go fishing there and people live alongside that river. But it's a river that's a freshwater river that extends from, from all the way out from the, from the top of the mountains where the, where the rainfall comes down and it comes down from there and it flows right into the, into the ocean area. But that river is a place of great nutrients that it provides that. God says for the Christian life that is so situated in God's word, he says that that person that whatsoever he doeth, the Bible says, shall prosper. Now, when we think about prosper, we think about material success. And it might, may, may refer to that, but I think really what it's saying there, that it's talking about, it's almost like the mightiest touch, that what you do, your, your prayer life, and your, and, just, and, 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 your, and your work for God, he says, whatsoever you do will prosper. That person has the blessing in the hand of God upon his life. Oh, brother and sister Christ, I want to tell you, there's a, you, ought to, you want to be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. But the essence is not you, the essence is of that, of that river that provides all that. So thirdly, the water speaks to success, but and the, but fourthly, notice this, in Psalms 36, 8, the Bible speaks of rivers of pleasure. Well, we look at waters representing salvation. Water representing the Spirit. Water representing success. But water represents satisfaction. Jesus satisfies all your need. You're thirsty, you can't help but want to drink some water. Thank God when we get thirsty spiritually, we can come to Jesus Christ and he meets our needs. Go back with Ezekiel chapter 47 though. The picture of this river in Ezekiel 47 is these rising waters. It starts off shallow, ankle deep. It's rising, comes to the knee. Now it's at the hip level. Now it's at your neck level, and it's continued to increase and grow, and you've got to swim your way. You know those rising waters in Ezekiel 47 and many lessons, but I believe one of the lessons for us tonight is that it speaks about spiritual growth. The more you're in the water, the longer you get out. The more you're in that water, there's spiritual growth. You start out as a baby Christian, ankle deep. 
It's easy to walk in. You can't get hurt. You can't, get, you can't drown. I mean, you won't get hurt there. You're ankle deep, but as you get a little bit further into it, you finish up through discipleship, and you're coming, you've gone beyond just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Now you're coming on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and you're watching the services, and you're going beyond that. Now it's gone from ankle deep to knee deep, and from knee deep to hip deep, and you're hip deep. You know, we talk about being hip deep. We refer to that euphemism as being hip deep in problems, but thank God you can be hip deep in the Word of God, and you have no problems, amen? You can be hip deep in the Word of God, and God takes care of your need there. I'm just saying today, as we look Look at it. It refers about spiritual growth, the growth of the Christian life. Hey, you want to get as much into the water as you can. By the way, it speaks about church growth as well there too. Church growth is the same way. You start off ankle deep. You start off a little slow, and you start off with just a handful of people, and then you get knee deep, and then you get hip deep, and now you're swimming. And thank God, over the years, we've watched our church as we started off just ankle deep in water, just a few people wondering if we'd ever grow, and then God started blessing. We saw we got to knee deep, but now we're, we're up to our hip deep, and now we're swimming in the water. Thank God we look at that river in Ezekiel reminds us that in heaven it's a place nobody drowned. We look at Ezekiel 47, it's a place where everyone can rejoice and everyone has prosperity and everyone grows in the Lord Jesus Christ here. The Bible says there is a river, a water of life that proceeds out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. Notice verse 2, though. Our attention's on the river, but God wants us to see also the tree. There's something marvelous about this tree. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. The tree of life is on both sides. The tree of life has its origins in Eden, the Garden of Eden. In Eden, Adam and Eve were told there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that tree. God made every tree available for them. But he said, don't eat that tree or the fruit of that tree. They did. They succumbed to temptation. And by one man, sin entered into the world. They partook of fruit that was forbidden, and sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So then death is passed upon all men, for all men have sinned, Romans 5.12. In Eden, we see this tree that resulted in sin. We go from there, and we go to Calvary. In Calvary, we see a tree that was fashioned into, the, into a cross. And there Jesus was slain, and he hung on that tree. And there on that tree, he paid for our sins. Acts 10.38 tells us, it says of Jesus, he was slain and hung on a tree. Now we get to heaven, and in heaven we look at this tree. It's a tree of life made available on both sides of the river. Now when we read about this, again, it speaks about this tree of life, which bear 12 manners of fruits, and you did a fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let me give you some thoughts about this tree of life. Number one, number one, God, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, God sent an angel with a flaming sword, and he kept them from being, going back into the garden, because if they ate of the tree of life, he talked about the Genesis 3, if they ate of that tree of life, Listen, they would live forever, but they would live forever in sin. And that's not what God wanted them to do. 
And so God kept them out of the garden. And now in heaven, this tree of life is available. It's available as nourishment. I believe this tree of life speaks to us about eternality. It speaks about the fact that we have eternal life and that we shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck us out of God's hands. This tree reminds us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's a second thing. This tree of life speaks to us about effectiveness. Notice again verse 2. Before the days of Harry and David, which sends that they have this neat, neat thing that they do if you want to subscribe to it for people, where they send a different kind of fruit every month to somebody that you designate. Listen, long before that, God wrote about this tree of life here, and this tree of life bears all manners of fruit. So if you can imagine, if you're a fruit lover like I am, all kinds of fruit that are on this tree, and it says it yields her fruit every month. I mean, there's just something new and delicious and wonderful. If you can imagine that in your sanctified imagination for just a minute, it speaks to us about effectiveness. It speaks about the fact that the life in heaven is an abounding life. You know, in this life, we have ups and downs. And in this life, we get discouraged. And in this life, sometimes we can get stuck. And in this life, we may not be as fruitful as we like to be. But in heaven, it's an abounding life. Thank God in heaven that we're going to be bearing much fruit for God. We are going to be fruitful. We're going to be on a, on, a, on a level playing field in all things that we do with the Lord. It's eternal. It's effective. But this tree, this tree of life speaks to us about enrichment. Notice something else. The leaves of this tree were for, notice this, the healing of the nations. Now, the word healing is a wonderful word because we get our word therapeutic from that word healing. Enrichment. You're never going to have a bad day in heaven, amen? We saw no more sorrow. But thank God in heaven, it's enrichment. There's just something about it, knowing that Jesus Christ is the great healer. He's the Lord who heals. Listen, when we got saved, he healed us from our sins. Listen, when we, when we come to him for forgiveness, he heals our soul. What does that mean? That when we sin against God, there's, there's sin sickness in us. And he heals us of that sickness when he works us. Hey, thank God tonight we see a river. And alongside of that river is this tree of life. It's a tree of life that speaks of a life that is unending, unbelievable, and unhindered. We see a road. We see a river. Would you notice a third thing? Would you notice in verse 3? We see a removal. Verse 3 says, and there shall be no more curse. No more curse. The Kennedy family over the years has seen Many family tragedies. And after John F. Kennedy was assassinated, then his brother Robert, and Edward with the scandal and just numerous other things, and then later on, uh, one of the sons of John F. Kennedy died in a plane crash. The media portrayed the Kennedy family over and over again as a curse on this family. A curse is when there's a misfortune or doom, or evil that falls upon a person or group will say, there is a curse there. But notice verse 3. In heaven, there's no more curse. Amen. Amen. There's no more curse. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2. God put these wonderful words into that verse of Scripture. He said, he turned the curse into a blessing. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He turned a curse into a blessing. You know, the Bible tells us about three kinds of curses that God turns into a blessing. If you go over to Genesis chapter 37, we read about the curse of suffering. 
In Genesis 37, we have the story there of a young man by the name of Joseph, 17 years of age. He was his father's most loved son. His father displayed his love for him by giving him a coat of many colors. It represented his father's love, his father's favor. By the way, God blesses you and I with his covering through, his, through, his, through Jesus Christ, and we have God's favor. But because of that, Joseph drew the ire and the wrath and the hatred of his other siblings, his other brothers. And we get to Psalms, we get over there, we get over to Psalms, uh, we get over there, Genesis 37, and we read about Joseph and his brothers and a series of bad things they do to him. There is sibling hatred, there's betrayal, he's sold out, he's put in slavery, he's put in bondage. I mean, you just you look at this, you say, How could how could life be so bad for this guy? And then he gets to Egypt and he's a nobody there. He winds up in the house of Potiphar. God was in that, and he and he just God's hand was on his life. He said, I'm gonna live for God, I'm not gonna let this defeat me. And he rose to the ranks of being chief steward over the house of Pharaoh. And then at, at, at just when everything was going well for him, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And he wandered back and he was in prison and he was forgotten in prison. And he went through just, he went through just a lot of, lot of bad things over several years. I mean, he went through suffering. Suffering comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Suffering affects us all the same way, though. You might suffer because you've been ostracized, and you might suffer because you've been hated, and you might suffer because you've been hurt, and you might suffer because you're, you feel like you're trapped, or whatever it may be. And that, that's what he was going through here. Then the day came that Pharaoh had these dreams. And through those dreams, Joseph was remembered. God's timing was so good. The butler remembered Joseph, and he said, oh, I promised that young man I would give a good word for him, and I didn't, and I waited two years. He told Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph got shaved. He got cleaned up. He came to the presence of Pharaoh, he interpreted those dreams, and they said, could there be such a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Joseph went from being a prisoner to becoming a prince. He became the number two man in all of Egypt. He gave him in stewardship and responsibility for the next seven years. He was in charge of all the produce of the land, and he carefully strategized how they were going to save. They were going to manage the harvest. And he said, we're going to take one-fifth of whatever we harvest out of the land for the next seven years. We're going to put it, store it up. We're going to store this all up to help us against the seven years of famine that will follow. And God blessed him. And through all of that, as the entire landscape of that area was suffering through a famine because there had been no rain, and the ground had been parched, and nothing was growing, and animals were dying, this, uh, this man by the name of Jacob, his father, he thought his son was dead. Jacob sent his sons, uh, he sent 10 of his sons down there to Egypt to get some corn and wheat and things of that nature there. They didn't think Joseph was alive. They thought he was dead. But now Joseph is a grown, mature man. He's a man that they didn't even recognize. He had, a, he had, he had this princely look to him. He had this aristocracy about him, this richness about him. And so when they came there, they didn't realize who he was, but he recognized them. And so he, had, he took care of all their needs. But later on, this all worked out. He just worked up a plot because to find out do his brothers really remember do they really recognize what they've done he wanted to find out were they really contrived and he started realizing through this process they were contrived and he heard them speak and they didn't know that he understood Hebrew and and, 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 and so he just didn't say anything and then the kind time came Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and then there was reconciliation one of the best stories in the Bible about the reconciliation the forgiveness of that Joseph had for his brothers and they were reconciled one to another we get over to chapter 49 and 50 and Joseph's brother father Jacob is now 
old age, and Jacob dies. And when Jacob dies, they've mourned him for many days, and they've had the funeral. After all that's done, his brothers got together in a corner somewhere. He says, now that our father's dead, Joseph's going to remember what, what we did to him, and he's going to punish us. And Joseph heard that. You know the story there. He said, man, I've forgiven you. Man, I'm not going to do anything wrong to you. He said, I want you to understand something about everything you did to me. He said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You know what? The curse of suffering, can I tell you something? God turned the curse of suffering to a blessing. We get a wonderful theological, theological understanding about that because we get Romans 8.28. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph said, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Hey, listen, suffering has its curse, and suffering can be long-term, and suffering can hurt us, but thank God, God turns the suffering to blessing. God has a purpose he wants to complete. He has something he wants to accomplish through that. So that people can get saved and lives can be touched and we can become more like Jesus Christ there. There's a curse of suffering. But you notice there's the curse of the soil. Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, this is what the Bible says in verse 17, Genesis 3. He said unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now I want you to understand, when you get, when you're over in Genesis chapter 2, The soil is good all the time. Nothing rotted. Everything that grew out of the soil was good. It was edible. There wasn't poison oak. There wasn't poison ivy. There wasn't unedible things. There wasn't bad blackberries and bad blueberries. I mean, everything that was, in ha- that was on the soil of Eden was good until they sinned. And God cursed the soil. And he says later in Genesis 3.18, he says, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And the soil, which was nurtured by the midst of heaven, the dew of heaven, became soil that had to be worked. It had to be plowed. Part of farming is you've got to break up the fallow ground every year because it clogs up and you've got to break it up so that so you can do good plowing on it. The soil was cursed. Earth was ruined after Adam. It must be tilled. We don't do that. We have weeds and thistles and briars, thorns and poisonous things. Trees are flammable. Let me just put a plug here tonight. The fires raging right now through all of California are not because of global warming, as our governor said. I don't know what he's been smoking, but it's not global warming. It's the judgment of God upon this state. You listen to his ridiculous video on there, you wonder, what in the world is this man talking about? It's not global warming. That is a a plot right now, a conspiracy of trying to get us to shift things. Listen, it is not global warming. God's going to have his way. That's why when we read the book of Revelation, of everything that's going to happen into the climate section, it's going to diffuse every wrong idea of thinking that the liberals are putting out there. Amen. Our harsh climates and natural disasters are the effect of this. Hey, listen, aside from Christians and churches that are trying to preach the word of God, I don't hear anybody in California repenting that we've got, that we've got these major outbreaks of COVID-19. Our cities are shut down. Our economies have been hampered. We've got forest fires ranging. We've got smoke pollution. And by the way, that's not the end of it there, amen? There's more coming down the pipeline. Get ready for it. 
God sent a curse upon the soil. We've had times in California, no rain, minimal rain. Water rationing, some of it I think is a conspiracy and lie. You jack up your water rates. Whatever it may be. In Eden, everything could grow. Now you look at our landscape, you've got deserts where it's a harsh climate. You've got mountainous areas where only certain things can grow there. And so you have to find the right place, right location. But in Eden, everything was good. Hey, listen, the soil was cursed. God said, the ground shall be cursed because of it. But do you know something? As we studied a couple of messages ago, God turns the curse into a blessing. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? It's going to go through time of refining. Oh, listen, we read about this new heaven and new earth. We read about this new Jerusalem. There is a river thereof in there, and that river on both sides of this tree of life. Hey, listen, God turns the curse into a blessing. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. Yeah, I realize we've got pollution problems, and I realize where some of us have, have, we're going to probably have allergy problems, and we're going to have respiratory problems, and yeah, we're going to have some problems in terms of our, our farmlands not growing everything and, as we can, and we may have to import things from, uh, from other, other countries and things like that, but I'm going to tell you, in heaven, that's all going to work out. God's going to turn the curse into blessing. He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth for the glory of God. The curse of the sore, the curse of suffering. But I want to tell you about something. There's the curse of sin. When Adam sinned, he brought the curse of sin on us. Listen, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So then death is passed upon all men for all of sin. Listen, the curse of sin is that you and I have to die. The curse of sin is that we have a mortal life. The curse of sin is that if you don't trust Jesus Christ as Savior, the wages of sin, you'll spend all of eternity apart from God. But God turned the curse into blessing. He sent Jesus to die for sin. Jesus became the curse for you and I. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. God's perfect, sinless, holy son left the glory of heaven. He came down, became like us, like you and I, yet without sin. He was nailed to that cross, and on that cross, it was considered a curse. He was hung on that tree. And listen, he paid sin's penalty full and full for you and I. He paid the payment price. He satisfied God's demands once and for all for sin. He redeemed us from sin's curse, and the blessing of salvation is free to all who believe in him. I remind you tonight, God turns the curse and the blessing. We get to heaven. What a wonderful thing that we're going to recognize. We're going to look around and say, boy, this is great. No more curse. The curse of sin is gone. The curse of suffering is gone. The curse of the soil is gone. Bless God, we are in the most perfect, a perfect environment. It's the environment that God always wanted us to be in. Finally, there's one last thing I want you to see this evening. We see a road. We see a river. We see the removal. Would you notice verses 4 and 5? Notice the redeemed. <laughs> there shall be no more curse, but of the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Right there, it gets our attention back on the Lord, on God. He's still on his throne. Amen. Never left his throne. He reigns on high. And then, out of his mercies, the redeemed are mentioned. He says, his servants shall serve him. Now, next time somebody asks you the question, what do we do in heaven? Look at verses 4 and 5. Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. Number one, we're going to serve him. 
Now, if you don't enjoy serving God now, I've got some news for you. You're going you're gonna to have to, you, I will learn how now because you're going to be serving God for all of eternity. Amen? You're going to be serving God. Hey, what is serving? We're going to be worshiping him. We're not told everything we're going to be doing, but we're going to be busy in heaven. There's no, not going to be any idle time in heaven. We're not going to be wasting time in heaven. We're going to be serving God. I believe that whatever you're doing now for the Lord, whatever you find, your hand finds to do, you're doing with all your might and serving God now. I believe God is going to take many steps beyond that. We're going to be serving our Lord. Listen, the greatest thing about heaven is we get to serve our God. Now, you might be in a job, in a place you don't like serving there. and You don't like your job, and you don't like your boss, and you don't like what's going on there. You don't like that you might be replaced by robotics and all that. There, We have those kind of things happen. But in heaven, everyone's going to love serving the Lord, and everyone's going to love what they do because you know what? The servants shall serve him. The word servants is that word doulos. It means bond slaves and bond servants. They're voluntarily and willingly out of their volition are serving him. Listen, we have to, co- we have to cajole people and drag people and bribe people to get them to do something for God, but in heaven, we don't have to do that. In heaven, everybody wants to serve Jesus. In heaven, everybody wants to get in license. Let me do that. I'll take care of that. In heaven, everybody wants to do something for the Lord. Listen, there is no such a thing in serving God as a menial task, an unworthy task. Everything we do for Jesus Christ is for the glory of God. We're going to serve him willingly and we're going to serve him worshipfully. His servants will serve him. I think we get to heaven, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How about this, Lord? Can I take care of this, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? We'll serve him. Notice verse 5, we'll see him. Verse 4, excuse me, we'll see him. They shall see his face. You know, Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us on earth, people hid their faces from him. It says there was no comeliness, no beauty about him. I was reading my devotions the other day from Exodus, and Exodus talks about how God, God called Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. He told them, I want you to come up to the top of the mountain there. And it says later on, they saw God. And there in heaven, the Bible says, his servants, the redeemed, they will see him. I think we're going to see him just like Peter and James and John did when they saw the effulgence of the glory of God. They saw him in his transfiguration there, Matthew chapter 17. I think there's just going to be something as we look at Jesus, our eyes are going to be so fixated on him. We don't want to see anything else. We don't want to be behold anything else. We just want to see him and behold him. Listen, the songwriter said this. He said, someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. Listen to this. And I shall see him face to face. And I shall see him face to face. And tell the story saved by grace. We have a a hymn in our hymn book. It says, oh, I want to see him look upon his face. Oh, I want to praise him for his love and grace. We shall see him. Listen, this morning, this evening, maybe you need to take some time in your Bible and you need to see the Lord in his wonderfulness and his glory and his wonderfulness for your life from the word of God. But listen, that pales in significance when one day in glory land, we're going to look at our Savior face to face. We're going to knock be ashamed of his face. We're going to look at his face and we're going to absorb and take in everything we can. Why? Because we're going to see our lovely Savior, his eyes burning like fire and his smile across his face. And we're going to say, man, I'm thankful that I'm with my Savior, I'm with my Jesus, I'm with my God. Listen, all you'll want that's going to consume you is you'll want to behold the beauty of the Lord. We'll serve him. We'll see him. Notice verse 4, we'll show him. They shall see his face. 
And this is very significant as we study through the book of Revelation. His name shall be in their foreheads. This is the seal of every child of God. In the tribulation period, the Antichrist, who's a counterfeit, puts his number on the forehead of every man. He says, if you want to buy, you want to trade, you want your health care, you want to show your ID, you either show that 666 number on your forehead or your right hand. But in heaven, we're not tattooed, praise God, amen. We're not tattooed. His name will be on our forehead. Why? Because 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, listen. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone, the name of the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. He knows us. Can you imagine? There will be nobody in heaven who's not going to have his name on their forehead. We know him. The name of our Savior. We'll see him. We'll serve him. We'll show him. Look at verse 5. We'll have supremacy with him. Here's the goodness of God, and we're done. The Bible says there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither the light of their sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And would you notice this last phrase? The brightness, the effulgence, the scintillation, the great illumination of God in heaven. And he said this, for you and I, they shall reign forever and ever. Just like down in the millennium, God's people, the saved, will be co-regents with him. They shall reign forever and ever. I'm not sure what we're going to reign over. The Bible really doesn't say. But it gives us responsibility. It gives us acknowledgement. And I think that can be tied to Romans chapter 8 where it says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what? John started off Revelation 1. He says you're going to be kings. You are kings and priests in God. He takes us who are beggars and paupers and unworthy people. And on one end, one spectrum, we're servants. On the other spectrum, we're co-regents with him. We have co-supremacy in whatever he assigns us to do. You know what? In heaven, we're very privileged. We're very blessed. It's a place of activity, a place of worship, a place of responsibility. I want to tell you tonight as we close, let's get ready for heaven. Amen? Let's get ready to meet with our Lord. To see him, to serve him. And by the way, we don't have to wait to heaven to do that. You can, right now, you can see him as you study the word of God, as you pray. You can show him through a good witness. Give me a good testimony of Jesus Christ. You can serve him right now. You can do whatever it takes to honor the Lord.